We see, feel, hear, smell, and taste the land when we're in nature, but it's something different to understand its voice. We get one poet's take after the music. Welcome to the Upwards Podcast, an initiative of Upper House on the campus of the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Through meaningful conversations, we explore the life of the mind and questions of the soul to enrich our university, our community, and the church. Be sure to subscribe and give us a rating on your preferred podcast service, and check out our upcoming events at upperhouse.org. Hello, and welcome to Upwards. I'm your host, Dan. At our Let the Art Speak conference this spring, we welcomed a poet and a visual artist to come talk about the land. This is a topic that today's guest, poet and teacher Chrissy Clute, has a profound passion for. She recently joined Upper House's senior writer, Susan Smetzer Anderson, for a conversation about the unique way she writes about the land and what it means to her. Chrissy Clute is a poet, author, and teacher who writes about identity, the land, mystery, divine love, and the passage of time. She's the creator of Writing the Wild and Field Guides for the Way and author of A Good Way Through. She guides retreats and workshops on writing, creativity, and nature connection. We hope you enjoy this Upwards conversation with Susan and Chrissy Clute. So, Chrissy, so when I heard you at Let the Arts Speak, I was just struck by the way you draw together the land and your love for the creator and then your own love of words. And so today I'm delighted to talk with you. And I was thinking about how do I picture Chrissy and her native environment right now, which is the San Francisco area. And I thought it would help me personally if you could describe to me a favorite place that you like to walk and just share to me what you see as you walk. I would love to tell you about that, Susie. I'm so glad to be here with you today. The first thing that I see when I step out my front door is off in the distance. There's a mountain that the Olani indigenous people of this area call Tushtak, and it means at the dawn of time. And we call it Mount Diablo, but um, this mountain is, is the geographical cornerstone for this region. And so one of my favorite things to do is to hike around its edges. It's, um, foothills. And there are many hikes that I love, but one of my favorites I often do early, early in the morning before the sun comes up. I like to get an early start because there are so many creatures that are out. I see deer, especially at that hour. I see owls on occasion. And then as the day comes up, I get to watch all the creatures arrive. The acorn woodpeckers come and start burrowing, burrowing holes into the oak trees that line these hills. And the red-tailed hawks and vultures will come ride the thermals as the day starts to warm up. The, the area is covered mostly in invasive grasses. And right now the hills are beautifully green, but within a few weeks they'll be golden golden brown, almost like a, the color of a mountain lion, which we also have in this area, though I've never seen one. I've seen evidence. And yet, if you look closer, you can see a lot of the native plants that are still here, like the poppies and um, other, so many wildflowers. I counted about a dozen on a hike I took just last week coming up among these invasive 
oats and foxtail barley and the things that have come in with settlers. That is an absolutely beautiful picture. So when you're walking in that area, do you feel stirred with a sense of God's presence with you? Or do you feel stirred to write? I feel both. I occasionally will write on a hike, though more often I don't. I'll maybe write down phrases here and there that I will later collage together into a a complete piece. But I certainly feel connected to a divine presence Mm -hmm. and mystery and this Mm -hmm. love that weaves all of creation together with Mm -hmm. us. And it's it's more than more than metaphor, Mm -hmm. though certainly there are many metaphors in nature for God Mm -hmm. and for the divine. But there is there is a different presence there when I'm away from the walls and the screens and the sounds and the bustle of of all things that we have created to separate Mm -hmm. us from the land. Right. I have um, a picture of myself as a young child. And one of the things I love to do um, in the field behind the house I lived in in Texas was there was a creek and I would go down to that creek and there were tadpoles and I love to catch the tadpoles and squish my toes in the mud and make a thorough mess of myself. And there are just things about being out in the world that are tactile and the sound and the taste and the feel of the wind and all of those things that I think kind of remind us of a sense of joy and freedom that I sometimes um, feel is very lacking in the more sanitary surroundings of our buildings. And there was something I read once, and I wonder if you could comment on it, that now we are actually kind of deprived of nature. Our children are deprived of nature and don't have almost a deficit of their experience with nature. And I remember the introduction of a television into our house, which dates me clearly But I think, honestly, that's around the time I started losing my connection with nature. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you're seeing evidence of like a deficit in people's experience with nature. I know there's been some books written about that and that there has been some research showing that it actually is harmful to us, our detachment from nature. Do you have any sense of that from where you sit in your work as a poet and person who loves nature? Yes, I certainly think there is a lot of merit to that idea that it is a deficit when we lose our connection with nature. I see it in my students. I'm a public school teacher. I see it in adults that I know. I see it in myself. And Mm. the more time I have spent out in nature and embracing that connection in a full and embodied and reflective way, the more I realize that I need it and I start to Mm. notice that my days are better when I'm Mm. outside a lot. There's an organization called A Thousand Hours Outside. And so last year they, they offer tracking like coloring pages for tracking how many hours you spend outside every day. And I want to say the math is about two and a half or so hours every day. 
if you want to spend a thousand hours outside in a year. And Mm -hmm. so I just thought, I wonder, I wonder how many hours I do spend outside. And it was interesting how tracking it made me make different choices. Like if I were Mm -hmm. eating lunch and I could have eaten it inside, but I could eat it on my front porch and color in one more little box, (laughs) I would Mm -hmm. make that choice. And then I started to notice the pattern of my my best days were the days when I could spend four, five, six, seven, eight hours outside, or if we were camping. But mm-hmm. it it affects my sense of perspective. It affects my sense of well being physically and emotionally and mentally. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us are so cut off from that that we don't quite know what we're missing. But I do think that embodied connection that you talked about, like your feet in the creek and splashing Mm -hmm. around with tadpoles, there is something Mm -hmm. in our very biology that Mm -hmm. requires that. And we're, Mm -hmm. we're orphaned from that. Mm -hmm. And it, it has a profound impact on our wellness. That phrase, we're orphaned from that is really powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, It connects a little bit with the idea of the earth being a mother. Mm-hmm. And if we're disconnected mm-hmm. from that, then we do sense that loss, uh, probably mm-hmm. more profoundly than we realize. Mm-hmm. Recently, um, I took a walk with my daughter around a pond in, in Middleton, and it's called Tiedemann Pond. You used to live in Madison. You may be familiar with it. But at an adjacent pond nearby, which has been preserved more as a natural area, we stumbled upon a flock of pelicans that were en route um, north, probably toward Horicon Marsh area, which is this huge area up north of us that has a lot of birds coming in. And I was so blown away. And they apparently started coming through here in the 90s. So it's not, it's still something that we look at and it strikes us with a sense of awe when we see these birds with nine foot wingspans. And I have really been struck by how poetry can convey that sense of awe in a way that is almost magical if you choose the right words. And I think you have a very huge gift for that. So when did you, you. decide to ex- express your, your heart, your spirituality, your experience with nature and poetry? I've probably done that to some level for most of my life because I've always been a journaler, even as a child. I, you know, at seven, I was drawing butterflies and writing about what I saw. But about four years ago now, I, before I had really started hiking regularly in this area, I did some, but not, not by myself. And that actually is an interesting piece of it. Most of my hikes are solo hikes. Mm -hmm. And I think the solitude is really important for me, both as a poet Mm -hmm. and as a human trying to reconnect my orphan self with my earth family. Um, But anyway, I, I was up in Tahoe in the snow in a cabin with friends. And I texted my dad because I knew he would get it. And I just said, I miss this so much. It hurts this being winter and snow and Mm. 
And he replied and said, you have a unique sense of place that's fully integrated with your sense of self. Hmm. And I thought about that a lot, which is why I still remember it four years later. And it made me realize that I needed to spend time on the land here if I was ever going to feel at home. I needed to get to know the land and learn the names of the plants and the creatures. And when I started doing that and hiking regularly by myself, the words just came. It was less of a decision and more of a blooming. And I think all humans have some kind of creativity that needs to be expressed. For me, usually it's poetry, but it was my way of joining this ongoing act of creation. This is just my, Mm -hmm. my melody, my thread in this, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this act of, of growth and creation. Is there a particular poem that captures some of that for you that you'd like to share with us? Mm, Yes. Let me see here. So yes, this is a poem called Vocation. And I think for me, it gets at the the task that I feel is mine um, when I go out onto the land. Hmm. My work is to attend, to know how the shadows move as the sun shifts, to notice every shoot who springs forth tenderly, to call each creature by name. My work is to recognize, piece by tiny piece, all that I do not yet know, to step ever deeper into mystery, that is to say, ever deeper into you. Hmm. That is beautiful. Thank you. I think that's really interesting that you think about your work as being to attend. And then at the end, if I'm not mistaken, the connection is to attend to the creative works of God. Is that correct? Yes, it's, it is a sustained attention to all created things. And I think when we pay attention both to the natural world and to that sense of mystery that that brings mm-hmm. it brings mm-hmm. us into connection with the divine it brings us in connection to love because we're rubbing up against the edge of what we know mm-hmm. and what we don't know and there mm-hmm. is something really powerful uh, about being in that space of mystery mm-hmm. and i think attention and curiosity are things mm-hmm. that bring us there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was something I was reading recently um, about the Celtic Christian tradition, and um, I follow a devotional in the mornings that's put out by the Northumbria community, and they talk about then places that mm-hmm. when, especially in the natural world, but I don't think it's limited to that at all. I think a thin place can be anywhere. A thin place is where heaven and earth are very close together. 
And some people use the phrase three feet apart, but you enter a space or you yourself experience this sense of, I am in the presence of something divine and I am still rooted here in earth, but there is definitely something besides me here. Mm -hmm. Um, I wonder if that's somewhat what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. It's a sense of being held by something Mm -hmm. bigger. And Mm -hmm. I think that the loss of that is, is a loss that is connected to the, the loss of our nature connection. When we lose Mm -hmm. our connection with the earth, we also lose at least part of our connection with that sense of being held by something bigger, Mm -hmm. something Mm -hmm. greater. Um, I read, I think it was in one of John Philip Newell's books about Celtic Christianity that there is in some, at least of the Celtic tradition, the idea that God created the earth not out of nothing, but out of the only thing that existed, what which was God's own self. And so creation was made out of the body of God. And so there mm-hmm. is this sense of of divinity or God's spirit that that dwells in in all of the natural world. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I I love that idea because it does get at that um sense of connection that comes mm-hmm. with time just being outside. I think it's almost a sense of um, recognition. Like Mm. the recognition I feel when I sense God's presence is of being welcomed. It's like, Mm. welcome to my world and welcome to what I delight in. And, And also to sense that God delights in me as one of his created beings. And, and there's a sense of being welcomed home in a way, when mm-hmm. I feel that. And um, I think at Let the Art Speak, when you were sharing your your thoughts with us about the um, divine and nature, that you said, if something along the lines, I'm paraphrasing, if nature is God's first image, then I'm the translator of that mm-hmm. image, that you mm-hmm. as the poet are the translator of what you see in the creation. Am I capturing that correctly? Yes, yes. I think um, it was something a friend told me once that if if nature is God's first language, then you are a translator. And mm. I do, I my great hope in writing, not just writing, but sharing my poetry, because those are two different things. For me, a lot of the writing is very personal and cathartic and I do it for me, but then there's a choice do I share this with someone else? Mm-hmm. And that sharing I do because I hope that somehow my words can draw people either into a sense of that, that being held, that being seen or welcomed, or can awaken in them the desire to go out and find that somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To go out on the, yeah. in their own spaces, on their own lands and Mm -hmm. and see what they discover. Do you feel like um, people realize what they're missing? Are are we Mm -hmm. able to name it, do you think, if we're not going outside enough? Or is it something we have to be invited into? Like, do we need, Mm -hmm. do those of us who love nature 
need to be more thoughtful about inviting others to experience it with us? I think there is a um, a need for that, for sure. I also think, you know, our society is becoming more aware of the need for for self-care, for rest, for play. And, and sometimes the way we try to fill our needs is shallow. Mm-hmm. But when I think about someone wanting to do some type of self-care, I mean, take, take the spa and going and, you know, getting a mud treatment. That is deep nature connection, but we might not realize that, you know, what mm. are the, what are the things our bodies need and are we meeting those needs in, um, in ways that are fulfilling, which could be a day at the spa, or it could be going and sticking your feet in some outside mud. Mm-hmm. Um, or are we distracting ourselves from those needs and trying to cope with our loss by avoiding it? Mm-hmm. And I see mm-hmm. a lot of that too, especially in my students. Um, I teach high mm-hmm. school and, and, you know, there is this, this need to escape the hard realities of life sometimes in a digital mm-hmm. world um, where you can mm-hmm. live without being in touch with your own needs. So, you know, I think, I think we're aware that we need something or there are so many people who are struggling emotionally right now. Um, and maybe some of us have an idea of what it is and some of us are still searching. Right. So you're speaking of loss and one of the things I loved during your presentation at Let the Art Speak was you read a prayer by Rilke. And um, I think he is recognizing in this prayer his um, his need and feeling of brokenness. And I wonder if you would read that prayer out loud for me, because I loved hearing you read it for one thing, but also for all of our listeners. I would be happy to. Um, This is a poem from Rilke's Book of Hours, Love Poems to God, translated by Anita Barrows and Joanna Macy. And it is, it's one of my favorites, I think, because it does speak to what you said. And it also connects so much to the need to share and to be creative and to to translate the wonder and the mystery into words. Mm-hmm. So, read that. I believe in all that has never yet been spoken. I want to free what waits within me so that what no one has dared to wish for may for once spring clear without my contriving. If this is arrogant, God, forgive me, but this is what I need to say. May what I do flow from me like a river, no forcing and no holding back the way it is with children. Then in these swelling and ebbing currents, these deepening tides moving out, returning, I will sing you as no one ever has, streaming through widening channels into the open sea. Mm. 
So the streaming through widening channels into the open sea, he is picturing freedom. Is that what you experience? Hmm. Is that what I experience? In, when you're as, as a writer, mm. you experience that as a writer. Is you mentioned something earlier about it being partly cathartic, at least. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. Um, I think my writing does bring me into a place of freedom when I let it. It helps me mm-hmm. to become a larger version of myself. In a good way, it it opens me to parts of myself that I might otherwise ignore. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, that um, I when I hear those last lines, I will sing you as no one ever has. There is an arrogance there, as he says in the poem, and yet um, it's. This poem to me has such a pure sense of desire to yeah. express, to connect, to release this um, desire for the holy that is inside of the poet. Um, mm-hmm. And then it joins with the open sea. It's not it's not an isolated thing, but it's this journey that that streams through widening channels into the open sea. And there's this sense of um, being caught, being welcomed by the sea, by this great thing that then you become part of um, Mm -hmm. by joining that flow. What I love listening to you is I hear that poem differently than if I just read it to myself. So if I just read that poem privately in my head, I would go, oh, yeah, that's really nice. And then when I hear you speak it out loud, though, slowly and thoughtfully, I am drawn into it in a totally different way. And it makes me think about how fun it would be to have poetry reading times with friends, you know, get a glass of wine or a cup of coffee and let's read our favorite poems to one another and, and talk about them. I, I just see it as being a possible community experience that would be really warm and fun. Yes, absolutely. And I, there is, there's something as a poet about hearing someone else read your words too, that mm. is powerful because I think that it, is what I love maybe most about poetry is that it's like any art, really. It's skeletal enough that we all flesh it out with our own experience. Mm -hmm. And so even in a reading aloud, you get a little bit of that from whoever's reading it. Mm -hmm. And then when you hear the words yourself, you're bringing your own life experience, your own story. Mm -hmm. And you, that sort of completes the art it expands mm-hmm. it because it's interacting with your own experience yeah and everybody does and i bet the inflection changes based on the experience of the person reading it when that person mm-hmm. isn't you um what poems do you want 
to share with your friends? I mean, if you could sit down with your friends, is there a particular poem that you you think, I want them to see this side of me? This is a poem I would really like to share with them. Hmm. That is a good question. I, I do often share poems with friends of mine. Um, I'll text them when the ink is still wet sometimes because it is, it's, it's helpful to me to get that outside perspective even right away. Um, because I don't always know what my poems are about right away. And so Hmm. I have a few friends, some are also poets or artists, some are not, but just have a way of naming what they hear, what they see that can help me just in that moment, see what's happening, not just in the poem, but inside of me, it it can be very Hmm. helpful. Um, so I'll read to you something fresh because I think that um, often I like sharing things when they are fresh because I'm still contemplating whatever it is that came out in the writing. So this is one, right? It's not so fresh. It's from my birthday, which was a, a couple months ago. But as I wrote this, I was thinking a lot about thresholds and this in my personal life, this has been a difficult year with a lot of thresholds and a lot of things that I've been sort of ready to close the door on and move on to the next stage, to the new thing. And Mm. then I find that I don't get to move on to the next thing quite as quickly as I would like sometimes. And so this, that was in my mind when I wrote this, it's called, on my birthday, after the storm. I wake to the start of another year. Silent moon, eerie clarity of sky. The earth pretends not to remember. Last night I stood at the kitchen window. A shadow passed up over the house, wide as the candlelit frame. I ran south to the next glass but whoever it was had gone. One last benediction on dark wings. So I was writing about this moment the night before my birthday where I was standing at my kitchen window in some kind of wide bird. I don't know what it was because I missed it. Probably a hawk, maybe an owl, it was huge. It just flew up past the window and all I saw was its shadow. And then it disappeared over the house. And I ran to try to see what it was, but it disappeared too fast. Mm -hmm. And it felt like this moment, um, this acknowledgement, like you said, maybe a, a seeing of me or a welcoming of that part of me that needed an ending. And it was this, um, creature uh, acknowledging this moment of the last day of that year of my life and saying, here's, here's a benediction. Here's a blessing. Just this shadow passing over the house gave me that sense of, of closure. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So did you read that to a friend and did they help you understand that? Or did you just understand that for yourself? 
Um, I that one I did not. To be honest, I don't remember. I read it to okay. you. <laughs> yes. yes, yes. I can't remember if I shared that one in the moment or not. Um, I think yeah. what's really interesting though is it shows the intimate connection between just the author and the work. There is very little separation there. Mm. And it gets back to your poem that you read earlier, which is about vocation. But I love the idea that our poems can show us things that we can't acknowledge ourselves with Mm. ordinary words or just reason. And reminds me of talking with a friend this morning who was sharing with me his dream and the difficulty of that dream, but it has something to show him about the stress he is experiencing in his life. Mm-hmm. And I find the same thing with dreams that poetry seems to do with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to your poetry workshop about a year ago, which by the way, I loved. Um, anytime <laughs> you're you. back in Madison, I will be at <laughs> one of your poetry workshops. But um, one of the things I thought was really wonderful is that you set up uh, a situation where people feel safe They don't have to um, write perfect sentences or prose. Um, You encouraged free writing. Um, I think the thing that gets in the way of a lot of us is we think our work isn't good enough or that it's not, we don't have the perfect words to capture what we're feeling. So um, what have you found helpful in your own work to get past that? The the invitation that I always offer to other writers when I teach workshops and longer writing cohorts, I, I say these things over and over again, probably because I need to hear it myself, is to look at our work with compassion and curiosity. Because I think so often we're focused more on getting it right than on discovery. Mm. And I think the discovery part is way more interesting than trying to get something right. And so my favorite part of the writing process is when I've written a draft and then I get to play with it. And my pages of poetry, like what I just read to you, that's all neat and clean on one page. But if you look at the page to the left, there's crossings out and arrows and lists of words where I can't find the right one, but I'm, you know, working on it. And I love that part of the process because for me, it's very playful. And I have learned to let go a little bit of the pressure to get it just right. Um, on, on my good days, <laughs> when it comes to editing, I'm, I'm finishing a poetry manuscript right now. And that it can be harder in that context. I certainly do read things and go, ah, is this even any good? But when I am thinking right, I remember that it's not really about being good or bad. It's about, is this poem communicating what I'm trying to communicate? Mm-hmm. And that I find to be a more helpful question. But the question before that is just trying to discover what is this poem trying to communicate? What, you know, mm-hmm. did I take it apart like a dream? I love trying to figure out where my dreams are, are coming from and what they're inviting me into. And you're right, their poetry does that too. The other thing I'll say about that, um, because in that workshop that you were in, somebody asked me a question about 
the inner critic and what what successful tools I've found to um, associate or have a good relationship with my inner critic because mm-hmm. I do have a very loud one generally speaking <laughs> and uh, the honest answer is therapy and doing good <laughs> inner work in a holistic way because if you're not finding that sense of care and compassion for yourself in all areas of life yeah. you're not going to have it when you sit down to write and so it is it's mm-hmm. there's t- tricks and tools you can use when you're writing but the it's a larger a larger issue than than just finding the right way to get around it that's really funny because I was thinking about, um, well, therapy is fantastic if you find the right therapist. Yes, <laughs> I think yes. that is so crucial. Um, but what I was thinking about is I heard somebody once say that they named their inner critic. Yes, I have a friend who does some uh, workshop stuff with me who talks about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She gives her a uh, whole personality. <laughs> uh-huh. And so then she can like actually drill down and take a stand. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Against her inner critic. Mm-hmm. And it could actually mm-hmm. be kind of humorous, you know, oh, barbed yes. barbed comments going back and forth. I think that would yeah. actually reduce it to something much more manageable. <laughs> that yeah. Horrible sense of inadequacy <laughs> that yeah. our inner critic well, brings. Totally. And I think often those voices are just trying to keep us safe. And so they're telling mm. us, you know, oh, that's too much, or oh, that's not enough, or and mm. they're trying to fit us in a, in a safe box. And so sometimes it can be helpful just to ask, you know, what, it, what is it that I'm afraid of? If I say these mm-hmm. words, what is it that mm-hmm. I feel might not be received mm-hmm. well or graciously and, and get underneath some of that criticism mm-hmm. a little bit. Do you mind reading another poem for us? that I would love to shares kind of your beautiful view of the world. I I was just thinking that some of the poetry I heard you read was actually just self-revealing and healthy in the sense mm-hmm. that I think it it shows that this is who I am and I like this. I like this world that I live in and I like myself and I just really loved hearing you read your work. Mm, Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I would love to read a piece or two. Let's see. Let me um, start with one that's called Of Dust and Water. And I'll read a couple poems that get at that sense of of being held and of, of connection with the earth. So this is one um, that I wrote after a hike, as I often do. I, I took photos and then I sat down the, maybe the next day and looked at one of the photos that I had taken on the hike and wrote from that. I think I also painted the photo first. Sometimes I do that all. I'm not an excellent painter, but I have watercolors that I like to play with. And, and I think that... Um, Creative cross-training helps me awaken my attention and those creative muscles in a different way. So that was part of my process for this one. Of dust and water. Blessed is the one who lays her body down upon the rock and breathes the breath 
of the mountain. She spreads her limbs in a great X, and the thirsty lichen is rough against her back. The rock still holds the coolness of night, and the scent of sagebrush hangs in the still air. If I know one thing, it is this. Resurrection is the water from which the universe is born. Do you not see? Dust we are, and to dust we will return. Have you not heard? We are all star dust, and every atom of our bodies comes from earth, which comes from sky. We are such dust as greens the eons, and our little life is grounded in the deep. That one is of dust and water. Then I'll read one more. This one is called How It Is to Love God. When they ask me how it is to know you, I offer only scraps. Intimate, mysterious, adventurous, secure. So much I do not tell. The way you hover over me, like a pink cloud brushing my horizon. How I lean against you, embraced by bare branches, who hum with preparation, new life soon to burst from tips fresh and green. Layers of hills, layers of soil, always a dark new curve to explore. Allured by mystery, I wander ever deeper. I look again and you rush like waves, approaching and receding on the tide, beckoning, calling, enter me, and I will wash over you. Do not be afraid. I will never find a metaphor to satisfy my desire to declare your holy mystery of love. Nothing is enough, no word, no deed, and yet to keep on trying is everything I need. So you keep on trying to find the word? I keep on trying, not necessarily to find the word, but to again and again express a small piece of Mm -hmm. the vast mystery of God, of goodness. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to try to capture the divine or even the goodness of the earth is like trying to hold the ocean in a bucket and Mm -hmm. you can't do it, but you can hold a small Mm -hmm. part and you can touch it and you can feel it Mm -hmm. and you can interact with it. And then you can do it again and again Mm -hmm. and again. I so appreciate the attention that you're paying to our world and sharing with us. I think it is truly a gift and you do it beautifully. I do want to share with people here that you have a website and you have a book or two that you have published and you have resources to help people retreat into wonder in the world. Um, 
first off, I want to make sure that people know we'll have those in the notes on our podcast. But do you want to offer a word of encouragement and just, you know, give us a sense of what you have on hand that people can enjoy? Sure, I would love to. Um, my website, we'll put it in the notes, but it's chrissyclute.com. It's pretty easy to find. And I I have a few of my poems there and I post them somewhat regularly on Instagram. Um, and I also have an email list where I send things out. Um, right now, I'm working on gearing up for year two of a cohort that I lead called Writing the Wild, where we dive in deeply to nature connection and writing and how those two things play together. And it's really, this is the best work I've ever done. It's the culmination of all the things that I am learning and um, in partnership with some really fantastic people. And so there's a little bit of information and a waiting list there. Registration's not open yet, but I, I have one book out um, called A Good Way Through that came out several years ago. There's a little bit of poetry in there, but my, my next book is in the works and I've been submitting manuscripts and po- proposals here and there, but one way or another, it will be out within the next year mm-hmm. or so. And my email list is probably the best way to stay up to date on that. And then the smaller offerings, I love doing retreats. I do a lot of them online. And so mm-hmm. there are often short-term opportunities that come up and I'd love to have some of the folks from here join me. I would love that too. And I think um, what you offer is such a healthy blend of um, experience in the world that we live in, in a very redemptive and, and thoughtful way. And then an awareness of what God brings to us and his character and his beauty and his grace and his love. And it's it's an extraordinary blend. And I just want mm-hmm. to thank you so much for sharing it with us. And I want to encourage people to check out the resources because you will not be disappointed. So thank you so much for this thank time, Chrissy. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the great conversation. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and give us a rating on your favorite podcast app. Also, be sure to check out our upcoming events on upperhouse.org. The Upwards podcast is supported by the Stephen and Laurel Brown Foundation. It is produced at Upper House in Madison, Wisconsin. Hosted by Dan Hummel, music by Micah Bear, audio engineering by Jesse Koopman, and graphic design by Madeline Ramsey. Please follow us on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn with the handle at Upper House UW.